Welcome to the Shema Podcast, the podcast for the perplexed, where Torah insights intertwine through personal stories as well as interviews with leading Torah scholars demonstrate the empowering qualities of Torah and mitzvot. For more great Torah learning through Torch, the Torah Outreach Center of Houston, go to torchweb.org. Now to the show. Welcome back to the Shema Podcast. I have an amazing episode in store for you listeners and something I've been wanting to do for quite some time. The topic of this episode that I had a lot of interest in speaking about was something that would demystify growing up and living in a Torah observant community. I know that I knew nothing prior to meeting the Wolbies for the first time and coming into a community. And I was trying to think, who should I bring on this show? And I was thinking about something. We're also taught from Torah that when, just like our father brings us into this world, Olam we also, if we're fortunate, have someone, a rabbi, that will become our spiritual father to bring us into Olam Abba. And so who is my spiritual father? Well, it's, it's Rabbi Yochoff Wolbe. He is the one that took the most care, most time, and dedication to helping me go from a very secular Jew, knowing absolutely nothing, to now living in a Jewish community. I'm still, I'm still learning, but he's been there guiding me along the way. And that means if Rabbi Yochoff Wolbe is my spiritual father, then I have two brothers. And so I asked them to come on. His two oldest sons, Akiva Wolby and Yehoshua Wolby. Now, chronologically speaking, I have a few years on them. But spiritually speaking, they're my older brothers. So welcome, my big bros, Akiva and Yehoshua Wolby. Thank you for being on the show. So to start with, I'm going to ask each of them to tell a little bit about themselves. So we'll start with the, the elder in the room. Akiva. Akiva, tell us a little bit about yourself, your age, what grade you're in, your favorite subjects in school, your outside interests. Go ahead and let the audience know who you are. My name is Akiva Wolby. I was born in Jerusalem. I'm 12 years old in seventh grade. In my, in, I go to YTE, the school in my community. My father is Rabbi Yaakov Wolby. My Arguably, probably top subject in schools is Lumude Kodesh, all Jewish, like teaching about God, Torah, and all those things. And outside of school, I don't know, sports? What's your favorite sport? Football or baseball. Now I'd like to uh, bring up Yehoshua Wolby. Yehoshua, please tell us a little bit about yourself as well. Hello, my name is Yehoshua Wolby. I am 11 years old. I am in sixth grade in the same school as my brother, Yeshiva Torah Emet, otherwise known as YTE. I was also born in Jerusalem. One of my favorite subjects, probably like Limude Kodesh, science. And my other ambitions are sports, and I also like presidents. Yes, I know you guys are both history buffs because whenever... I come out to your house, you're always quizzing me, and I don't know any of the answers. You read a lot of books on the subject? There's one main book that I use, Kids Encyclopedia on Presidents, 
there must be a bunch of them out there, but I have one that I, I think is good. So I'll let the audience know whenever I'm out at the We'll Be Home, I get quizzed all the time. I don't know any of the answers. Or there was a guest over there the other day who was quizzing Joshua on various topics, and you were just killing everyone. I didn't know any of the answers to the questions he was asking, which is quite impressive. That's what happens. Books teach you stuff. That's right. So let's start with the following question I have. So, you know what? I used to refer to my childhood as when I was growing up. But now, having a life centered around Torah, I realize I'm always going to be growing up. God willing, that's what I want to do is constantly be growing. Part of growing up and part of learning is you make mistakes. Fortunately, I've had Rabbi Wolby to provide me a lot of guidance over the years. I believe I have a close enough relationship with him now that he is okay letting me know when I'm on the wrong path. Because quite often, as I've been learning, I didn't even know if I was doing something wrong. And that's part of learning is, is making mistakes and learning from them. You know, I heard something early on. You guys may have heard this, but it was giving an example that if you had a father who had two young children and the father told them as they became old enough to touch the stove, he warned them, do not touch the stove when it's on because it's hot and it will burn you. So one of the sons says, okay, takes it to heart. He doesn't go anywhere near the stove. The other kid reaches up and touches the stove and burns his finger. Which kid knows more truly that stoves are hot? The first kid or the second kid? Without a doubt, the second kid. He felt it personally. He experienced it. Talk about taking it to heart. <laughs> That's how, sadly, I learn. I have, to, I have to burn myself constantly in order to, to really learn it. If you're smarter, though... But isn't that the best way to learn? Like, let's say you're, you want to learn how to ride a horse. There's, you see somebody else riding. What do you do? Either you like sit on the fence watching a person ride the horse and see their mistakes, or you just get on the horse. Most people would get on the horse because that's what you do. Because that's the way it's easier to learn. Because I can't say, oh, I can't do this, I can't do this, and I can't do this, but what do I do? I agree 100%. So my question is, is growing up, and we'll start with Yehoshua, that... Tell me about the experience with your father, Rabbi Yochal Fulbi, with your mother, Haya, how they raise you and teach you. And I know you guys are perfect angels, but maybe you've made a mistake here and there. How they go about guiding you and nurturing you and helping you learn from those errors and mistakes to grow up to be the fine men you are in the, the zodics that you will become one day. The way I learn with my parents, as in, like, physically learn, me and my father learn from time to time. You study Torah together? And how does your father and mother go about helping you when you make a mistake or you're struggling with something? Well, I think when my parents, when I have a mistake, my parents will tell me the right thing to do and see if... Then if you do it again, and if you do the right thing, then you've learned. Perfect. Akiva, what's your experience been like growing up in your home and, and how they've raised you and how they teach you? Go ahead and answer that same question for us. Well, also, other, well, my brother said 100%, but also they start teaching you from a very young age. My sister, Rifka, she's not even two years old, 
We're trying to teach her Moshe Kibbal Torah Sinai. Moses got the Torah from Sinai. So you're starting really, really young because that's when that's the prime time. And why is that the most important thing for a child to hear as soon as they can begin to talk? Because it once it's embedded in their mind, it's easier. Because like, what what's easier trying trying to teach a three year old to to read or a nineteen year old? It's a very very different experience. Or a, a young child to learn the truth that Torah came from Moses. Moses received it from Hashem. Yeah. Versus me, I had to try to learn that when I was forty years old. It's it's very hard. Exactly. That's why I really I applaud everybody, including you, that at such an age they started to learn Torah. There was a man. That man's name was Akiva. He was an honest shepherd, and he lived with his wife. They were living in poverty. He lived in this old house, and he was a shepherd. Then when he turned 40, he's like, okay, it's time for me to start learning. So he came to a little kid's class, like kindergarten. He sat down with the little kids, and he learned. And he went up higher and higher and higher and higher until he became one of the greatest tzaddikim, Torah scholars that there ever were. That, that's a great story. He, he started off learning Aleph Bess with young children. So I have a challenging situation I would like your input on. So I'll start with you, Akiva. So here's my challenge is that I am now studying Talmud with your dad. And he said, no art scroll, only Hebrew. And I'm very new to Hebrew, just like Rabbi Akiva. Except he, he was probably speaking in Hebrew. You know if he was? Was he speaking in Hebrew or was he speaking a local dialect? I assume he was. Like if it, in, in in where he lived, I'm assuming. Okay, so but he so he had to learn how to read it. So the language is so new to me. So like my my ability to learn Talmud is new, but has more potential. But my my weak muscle is in learning Hebrew, just getting comfortable reading it, right, and then remembering what the words mean. And so I'm real behind in the class. Because I've been so busy with the move, and then the holidays came, and work got busy, and so I'm, I'm totally behind with the rest of the group. And so I was trying to think what is the best path to get caught up because I have to do this. And I'll, I'll say this too: my Yetzirah really, I know, does not want me to do this because this is a, a big move to be able to know the Hebrew language, pray in Hebrew, and study Talmud in Hebrew. So I'm looking at three different pathways to get ramped up and up to speed and caught up with a class. The one is a more conservative path where I go back and I watch the videos and practice by myself for like the next 30 days until I get caught up and and then join in with the class. That's one option. The second option is I just still just jump in with the class, which will probably have a potentially higher return on effort because I'll be struggling more, which will facilitate greater learning. But the greater risk with that greater reward is that I'm going to get frustrated because my classmates, which are a lot younger than me, are, are going to be so far ahead. I'm going to feel lost. And then I'm going to listen to my Yetzirah, say things in my head to make me frustrated, and I'm going to want to quit. The third option, which I haven't figured out totally, is what like I like to do in the investment world. 
I like to take the higher return option, but introduce a third variable that removes the risk from it. I haven't figured out how to introduce that third variable to, to remove that potential risk of getting frustrated and, and potentially backing away from it. So Akiva, what, what do you think I should do? There's one way, one way to eliminate the risk is to, before, before even you start, start worrying and everything, just say, okay, fine, I'm getting this done, done. Gut determination. Gut determination. But also, I think it may, may be easier for you to learn the combo is you jump in with a glass, but by yourself, you start from where you are yes. and then catch up. Okay. But by yourself or with my father one-on-one. Right. Your, your father did say he would help me one-on-one. Do you agree with that, Hoshward? What's your suggestions for me? I think that's absolutely correct because it's always good if you want to learn something and you want to... No, like the only way to do it is practice. If you let's say if you want to get good at something, the best way is to practice. And isn't there it also true that the more humble we are, the more it easier it's easier for us to absorb Torah. Yeah, if you're humble, you don't feel so high in the world. The Torah says that Moses was humble, so Moses was humble and he became a great tzaddik. So, so I think maybe being in an environment where everyone's surpassing me is something I could just remind me to be humble and that might help me in my learning process. Now, it sounds like you guys provided me the solution to option three, to take on the higher return option that hedge and mitigate the risk away. And that third variable that you so eloquently explained, Akiva, is that third variable to hedge the risk is determination. I'm going to take that advice. I'm going to go with option three, jump back into the class, continue to review by myself with your dad and hedge away the risk of failure and getting discouraged by having determination. Now I have great resources. I can ask you guys for help and your dad when I'm struggling with the, the text and how to interpret it. Excellent. So what's great about having two big bros to, to help you out. Tell me about just life, in an observant community, maybe talk about, let's talk about Shabbos, like from an early age, what it was like, and what it meant to you all the way to, to the present. Well, now what I usually do, well, in Houston, there are three different shul synagogues. One of there's Young Israel, and then there's Beth Rambam, which is Sephardic, and then there's Haimish. Well, I go to Haimish, and what I usually do Shaharit there is usually at 9.35, and then it'll end at like 12, from 12 to like 2.30-ish. Then I'll probably be finished the su'uda, the meal, and then at like around 5 to 6.30, I'll learn with my father, and then from like 6.30 to whenever... Ma'ariv is at Haimish, a learn with my friends at Young Israel. Wow, that's a lot of learning. Tell me about your, your experience in the present Akiva, and then I want you guys to come back and sort of talk about what it's like when you're younger and what that's like experiencing Shabbos at, at those various ages. For me, 
I find it a lot harder than my brother to learn for like four or five hours straight. It's very hard for me to concentrate to do that much. So usually on I go to Shachris at 9.35 at Heimish. When it's over roughly 12 o'clock, I would go to my house, have the meal till roughly 2 to 2.30. At 2.30, I would usually go to a friend with my friends. Could be from between, could be almost anything. And then at Minchamarev time, I would go to Heimish. Then when Marv is over, make Havdalah, and then Shabbos would be over. So tell me about what it was like just sort of growing up as a young kid, like your earliest memories when Shabbos would arrive and the feeling that you would get in the home and what the experience was like. With uh, Shabbos candles like lit on Friday night, the house would feel like warm, cozy, homey, but... As a young child, you don't really go, you don't really stay up till at, ni- at night. So Shabbos day, it like, just like radiated with a glow. Like the Shabbos table set and like all those beautiful Shabbos things. Such as like no electronics, all kids are addicted to that, without a doubt. Very true. So what do you do instead when you don't have electronics? I don't usually have electronics on weekdays either. Which is very good. So, so you spend a lot of time with your family? Family, friends. We like every year we might get like a new board game. We have several board games that every once in a while our whole family will play like a board game, for instance. And you can make a whole thing out of it. How about you, Yehoshua? What were some of your earlier childhood memories of Shabbos? My brother said it's totally like he says. But before Shabbos, like Friday afternoon, school has just gone out and everyone's rushing to take showers and get ready before Shabbat. So it's like a whole hubbub of activity. The tiny kids are wreaking havoc and everyone is pestering their mother for like when she's trying to bake. And like, you don't know where your shirt is. You don't know where your pants are. What do you do? What do you do? The whole house is a mess it's like going through the dishwasher it goes in dirty and it comes out clean i love that very nice now whenever the first time i experienced a shabbos was when your mom and dad invited us out we were still driving on shabbos i didn't even know really what it was and we came out to the home you guys were much younger there's like six years ago and you guys are just running around, going crazy, having so much fun. My daughter's only experience with, with Shabbos was we would drag her to the synagogue where she would sit on a Friday night and have to sit there and be still in a chair when she was around five years old, which I didn't want to sit there in a chair and you know for for three hours, and it's, it's different the way they did the services then. You know, it was very, everyone's sitting there, and you're sort of just listening to someone else the whole time. You're not going, no one's... No one's getting into it. Yeah, no one's, like, just going there, like, in an orthodox shul and where they go there just to pray. It's more you're being entertained. And so I would just be thinking about something else. My daughter would be going crazy sitting there. So it wasn't a good experience. Then we went to your house. Then she's like, this is fun. Because you just get to play and be excited about the evening. And everything was just very festive. And there was so much love and joy in the room. 
that that was one of the first things that really got me and my wife to say this this is the right way. The holidays and the times throughout the year and what those experiences are like for you. And maybe start with what we just came through. Um, like start with the, your experience over Simchas Torah was just this last Sunday. Well, before Simchas Torah, there's Sukkot. And in Sukkot, you sit in the Sukkah. So there's a lot of fun into building the Sukkah when you just run around and try to help build the sukkah. In Simchas Torah, a lot of people come in, usually due to the pandemic that is going around. People come in from like the northern states and come back down to Houston to their relatives. And there's a lot of new people, a lot of action, and a lot of fun. And on Simchas Torah, for the kids, a lot of candy. I saw that. It was uh, a lot of kids being thrown up in the air, a lot of candy being thrown around, a lot of dancing. Akiva grabbed me several times and brought me into the crowd to dance, to jump up and down with joy for having tour in our life. Yeah, what can you share, Akiva, about your, sort of your experiences enjoying the, the various holidays throughout the year? As my brother said before, right before Simchas Torah, there was a Sukkot, Sukkot, and which we and the, on Sukkot we build a sukkah. The sukkah is a temporary housing. Often you sleep there, you eat your meals there. Whenever you eat mizonos, mizonot, or bread, you have to say a certain bracha, an extra bracha that you only have to say for only on Sukkot. That was a really fun and eventful time because you're you only do this once a year next year i'm gonna, I'm gonna have to do because i'm gonna be 13 years old i'm gonna be a bar mitzvah bachar. oh next year excellent this is my last time as a minor saying this bracha so it's just very fun and by Heimish, every friday night they sing they dance on some Torah, the place is seven heaven the place is berserk candy kids People dancing, singing, and everything together. And Sifrei Torah, different Sefer Torahs. There was three of them going around my Hamish, holding them, singing with them, throwing kids up, as you said before. And the place was just lit. Yeah, it was an amazing experience. I came home to visit with my wife for a little bit, and I walked outside, and I could hear everyone from my backyard singing. That, that one song over and over again. And then I went over there and I came back later on. And at five o'clock, I went outside with my wife. And I was like, they're still singing the song. I can't believe it. Like, how can they keep going? And she said, I don't hear anything. It's like, you don't hear that. I can hear the song. I, could, I, started, I, was, I was humming it back to her. And she's like, Dan, I don't hear anything. I was like, I can't believe you can't hear that. I'm going to go over there and check it out. I go over there. The building's empty. I just had heard it. For so long, it was that song was in my head for like next day, just playing over and over again. How many siblings do you guys have? And then Miriam, my sister, who is nine. And then Shlomo, my brother, who just turned seven. Birthday was like a few days ago. And then there's Yitzi, who's four. And then there's baby Rivka, who's like one and a half. So what's it like growing up in a big family with lots of siblings? 
Is there a fun element to having so much family around you all the time? Sometimes. Sometimes? It really depends. Because <laughs> me and Akiva were either best friends or like enemies. <laughs> What's your take on that, on being in a, having a big family? There's nothing bad about it. If you ask me, I'm on the top of the food chain. <laughs> There's nothing bad about it if you ask me. It's got to be fun to have a lot of excitement in the yes, house. Yes, yes. If the house is bustling, if the house is moving, it's like, you just, li- you just like, like it. It's just like something that you can't, can't put into words, but it's just like easily liked. Yeah, there's a lot of energy there. I know when we were all the way up in Kingwood doing Shabbos by ourselves, I didn't mind because I would just study a lot, but it would, sometimes it would get hard to sit there and study all day because I'm not like your brother either. I need a break. And my daughter was just, you know, she was, she's the only child. And so that's one of the things we were looking forward to moving here was just to be around people and see other people getting joy out of Shabbos and all the different holidays coming up. It makes the world a difference. Tell me about your mother, Haya, and how she navigates and manages this Big, beautiful family with all you wonderful kids that are going in a gazillion different directions at once. I can't know. I, I don't know. I never will know. But I could just say this. She is the nicest person in the community by far, in the world by far. You don't know how she does it, but you're just appreciative that she does. Very much so. It's called Mother Power. Mother Power. Yeah, and then where we go over there, there's always an amazing meal can't say no to that. Yeah, it was always an amazing meal, and yet she's navigating all of you kids, and we're just always blown away. And you're right. She's always the, the sweetest, warmest person we know, and it's just remarkable to us. We don't know how she does that. So one of the amazing things that I've experienced since I've been here that's totally different from what I experienced before was back up in the suburbs, I really didn't know my neighbors at all. I would go for a walk and I would wave and say hello. I knew a few of their names, but really maybe that was it. We all just sort of kept to ourselves. We had maybe sort of our own little social circles that we went to outside of our street, but no one really knew each other. And I come here and on day one, everyone's coming up and introducing themselves to me. I met more friends in the last 30 days than I made in my entire lifetime. And it's crazy how you're just walking around. Everyone's introducing themselves. You're getting to know so many people. And I would like to get your take on that as well, what it's like just being in a community where you have so many friends. Akiva, do you want to start? In a Jewish community, there's a lot of socializing. Even due to this pandemic, there is a lot of socializing. We still go to school with masks. But yes, we still go to school. We still talk. We still have sometimes have baseball games at the park. Whatever. We still talk. We still socialize. And in a non-Jewish community, how do they socialize? The one answer to that is media. They have their phones and they text people. And they go on Twitter and that kind of stuff. Otherwise, they don't. How do they socialize? You're right. They, they sort of form communities on the Internet. Here, it, it truly is a community because... Everyone's, it's like one almost big family that you're, you're coming into. 
It's also like you have friends. You have more friends. I would say that I'm friendly with like all the kids in my class. I have like around 20 kids in my class, and I know all of them. I can have a proper conversation with them. I'll tell you what it's like in a public school, especially in a big public school like Kingwood. There would be like, especially by the time you get to middle school and high school, there's around a thousand kids in a grade. So what happens is you have all these small little subgroups, and where you'll know you'll build friendships. Like my daughter has two amazing friends up there that she's still very close to, but you don't know everyone in the grade at all. There, so that's one of the things my daughter has enjoyed here is that there's six girls in the ninth grade. There's not enough girls to form cliques. So one of the things that's different is when you're in a public school and there's so many kids and it's a non-religious environment, what you are finding common ground with, that's which creating the fringe that you end up having are based around some similar interests like music or sport, forms all these, these cliques. Here, what do we have in common? We're all Jewish. We all believe in Torah. You know, so we're experiencing the holidays together. We're, we're unified around a very central core set of ideas and beliefs that brings just like this instantaneous unity to us. And because the class size is smaller, you guys probably get much more one-on-one type of tension that helps the teacher teach directly to each student versus a large class. Would you agree with that, Akiva? Yes, I would. And I would also like to point out what my brother said. We also have like math, social studies, language arts, those secular studies. What, what else would you like to, to share, Akiva? Our community is very, very small. Me and my brother Yoshua have a mode of transportation that we both can use. It's called a Segway. But I can Segway from one end of the community to the other in less than 10 minutes. It's a very small community. So it makes it easier to know other people. So I know a lot of people in my community. Our community is tight. And like, let's say, please God, this will not happen. God forbid, a fire breaks out in somebody's house in somebody, a Jew. And whatever, the firemen put out the house, whatever, but it's $100,000 in damage. They own the house. That $100,000, not all of it will be paid by the family. Like, most families would contribute, I don't know, here, um, we, we have enough money for ourselves, thank you, Hashem, thank you, God. We have enough money, so here, take this couple thousand dollars, please use it to fix your house. So if this so many people do this, it helps a lot because, like, they, they're like a team. They get reward together and punishment together. That is a great point because the neighborhood I came from, if someone's kid went out to go play and didn't come back, they didn't know where they were, they would panic. They would call 911 and freak out thinking something happened to their kid. Here, you guys can go out, I know, on Shabbos and... Your parents don't know where you are half the time, but they know that you're in this community, that you're at someone's house. Someone, the whole community is looking out after everyone else's kids when they see them going down the street to make sure everyone's safe. It's an environment and a, and a situation that kids and parents don't get to experience because they can't let their kids just go be kids and go run around and play and have fun because they're worried about something happening to them. Gentlemen, it was a total joy to have you. I appreciate you sharing with the listeners what's, how amazing it is for Jew to experience it, to live in a community, to have their life centered around Torah, 
centered around Torah with not only their family, but an extended family by the community that they become a part in. So thank you very much for sharing all your insights and wisdom with us. No problem. Thank you for having me and my brother on this wonderful show. I wish you to have very successful job doing your podcast. I hope you get millions of listeners, millions of downloads. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting Torch so they can continue to spread Torah wisdom to the world by making a donation at torchweb.org and clicking donate in the top right corner of the page. And if you would like to get in contact with our host with comments, suggestions for future topics of learning, or questions for him or his guest rabbis, you may email him at president at torchweb.org.